Hi everyone, this is Pete Perusik. I want to welcome you to this edition of the Weathered Athlete Podcast, a place for us to honor those athletes that refuse to go quietly into the night. As a weathering triathlete and a physical therapist, I will spend my time talking with those athletes that continue to make the necessary repairs and continue to move forward. They may have a few cracks in their foundation or a squeaky step, and their patinas may continue to fade, but they are no less glorious than years prior. In fact, I feel they have more heart and resolve as they have weathered and can provide the pathway and set the standard that we should all live by. My goal is to determine what sets these individuals apart from the rest of society. After the discussion is over, I encourage you to stick around to hear a breakdown from a physical therapist's perspective on how this weathering athlete is able to keep moving forward. Don't forget to hit subscribe, leave me a comment, and share with your friends. I'm excited to be joined by Pat Oker from mile number 17. She is the Dean of the College of Arts and Science at the University of Missouri at Columbia. Her incredible fitness journey into running and powerlifting started nine years ago at age 51. Since then, she has run nine marathons, including seven straight Boston marathons. She discusses what running Boston means to her and what it, what it was like to participate the year after the bombing. As you will hear, prior to age 51, she was overweight and had little experience with exercise. She was asked by a friend to be part of a group called AWOW, Old Women on Weights, which led her on a journey to travel internationally competing at powerlifting, and more recently she has made the transition to Olympic-style weightlifting. She holds two world records in powerlifting for her age and weight class with the World Drug-Free Powerlifting Federation and numerous American and national records with the American Drug-Free Powerlifting Federation. We discussed the changes she has made due to COVID, She credits her success at running due to her time powerlifting and weightlifting. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Pat, uh, I want to thank you for joining me on the Weathered Athlete Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Thank you. That's good. Um, So what is your role at your University of Missouri? I am. I'm the Dean of the College of Arts and Science, which is the largest college on campus. Okay. How long have you been uh, there? I've been at uh, Mizzou, as our nickname, uh, for 30 years. I've been dean for four and a half years. Okay, that's great. So, um, you know, when I was looking at who I can talk to, I'm trying to branch out. So this is not just a triathlon podcast. Um, and uh, Devani had sent me your information. So when I started to look into it, it looks like you're doing what, powerlifting? Yeah, so actually, uh, it's a kind of, I have a weird story, but I started out as a runner, did some uh, then added powerlifting. Then I added and kind of did uh, Olympic uh, style weightlifting, which is actually what I continue. So right now I really consider myself primarily a marathon runner. That's my primary focus, but Olympic style weightlifting is my secondary sport. And I'm better at powerlifting, but I really like Olympics uh, weightlifting. Okay. Um, how long have you been doing that? So I started all of it, the whole process about nine years ago, and I did probably it's a little over seven years that I've been doing um, weightlifting. And people get confused because I think it's the same thing as powerlifting, and they're, of course, completely different sports. Yeah, we're going to talk about the difference because I agree. I think people don't really know. Um, How long have you been running? I know you did a couple marathons. Yeah, I've done um, nine marathons. The whole th- I had I did nothing previously to nine years ago. It's actually nine years ago last month. So I started as a runner. Then running was first. Okay. But no background before then. Zero. How, how old were you at that point? If you don't 51. mind me asking. Fifty-one. Okay. Yeah. So you'll be what are you sixty now or uh-huh. will be okay. Yes. So when you started, we'll start with running if you don't mind. So at age fifty-one, getting into running. What misconceptions did you have about your ability to to do that? Oh, I, I so I was a total um, yeah. Uh, I was not an athlete in any way, not as a child. I had no background. So when you ask, you know, I mean, I knew nothing about what it was to be an athlete. So I had a million uh, misconceptions. Um, I think the biggest one is uh, this notion that actually uh, being athletic could bring me joy like 
for me as I was an overweight middle-aged woman, like exercise was this terrible chore you did at the end of the day. And you, you know, you ground out, you know, whatever your 35 minutes on the elliptical machine, something that I would never do anymore. Uh, I, I actually, I swear that I will not exercise ever again in my life. I will train for something the rest of my life, but I won't exercise. Um, so I think the biggest misconception is I just thought it was like a chore and some t- thing you do to torture yourself. Yeah. So how, in the beginning, were you, uh, running every day? Did you set up a, what was your plan? Like, how'd you work? So your way up I into did, it? um, I did a couch to 5k program because, uh, a friend encouraged me to do it. The goal was to lose weight. I didn't lose weight. Um, um, I hated every minute of it. I hated running. People, I, it's just hard for you know, people who know me now and know how much I love running. It's hard to imagine how much I hated it, but I did it. I, we ran three days a week and I was just stubborn. I was going to do that 5k. And I remember it's a friend of mine actually, um, that I run regularly with. And, um, uh, and I remember asking her at one point, so how do you run a mile without stopping? Like the, the idea that one could run a mile without stopping was literally unfathomable to me. <laughs> so it's been a process. Yeah. So from that first, how do you run a mile to uh, running Boston? So, you know, there was a, there was a lot of things along the way. Um, I did have, I don't know how common this is, but the first time, you know, those zero to 5k, you just do what's on there. And you're like, okay, if I did 90 seconds, I guess I could do two minutes, right? You just convince yourself that you can do that. Um, And, but I hated it entirely and always spent like I, my mind was filled in the beginning with all the reasons why I needed to stop. You know, that's the only thing that I thought about while running. And I confess, I still sometimes, of course, have those thoughts, right? But it was like, you know, I need to pee. It's bad for my knees. I need to get to work. It's too cold. Like, I, it was just, that's all that was going on in my head. And then one particular day, I still remember exactly where I was in town. Um, it was the first time I ran more than two miles without stopping. And it was extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. But I got to about two and a quarter. And you have no idea. Like people were walking and going faster than I was. So mm-hmm. I was the shuffler really, really slow. But I got to two, about two and a quarter miles. And I suddenly had this sensation that I wanted to keep running. I, you know, in retrospect, I think I finally ran long enough. I mean, I probably, it was probably at 40 minutes. I mean, you cannot believe how slow I was, um, that I got a little like endorphin something like some chemical happened in my brain. It was like a light switch. And, and the person who was organizing at the time said, well, you can stop now. And I actually ran farther than I was supposed to. And it was a revelation to me. And so the first thing, and that really, then I ran the 5k and then I just, people said, oh, you should run a 10k, but I decided for reasons, I'm not quite sure that I was going to do a half marathon. And so, which seemed so unbelievably <laughs> long, right? It was unbelievable. Um, and th- so that was in October. And then that March I ran a half marathon, um, And I, I, it was, I was very slow, but I did not walk. I did not stop. I ran the whole way. And then I just started, I just kept running and gradually I got faster, but I wasn't planning anything. So, um, along those lines, along that same time, I also started powerlifting. And so I got stronger and that really, really helped my running. So I got faster. Um, I also started losing weight once I started powerlifting. Anyway, that's a long story, but I went from a 5k to a half marathon. And then for about that next summer, I actually started getting faster and really then started saying, Oh, I like this. This is fun. But it was a process. Yeah, but I think probably adding the powerlifting in there probably made a huge difference as far as just the quality and your ability to continue to run. It was a huge thing. And as, it, the funny thing, as much as I hated running when I first started, the very first time I touched a barbell, um, I thought to myself, this is fun. Like, I liked it right from the very beginning. And I was heavy and being larger is not a disadvantage when you're trying to pick up a heavy dumbbell. And, um, I had a fabulous coach who treated like me, like an athlete from the very beginning. Um, and so I really, really took to powerlifting right away. It was just fun. Yeah. So how much weight did you lose? 
Um, about 55 pounds. Great. That's awesome. Um, so, um, when you started weightlifting, um, how'd you get into that or get into powerlifting? How did that transition happen? That's a funny story. So, (laughs) um, so I had this gym that I went to again, as an overweight middle-aged woman, of course I went to the gym. I was trying to lose weight. I've been trying to lose weight since I was like 12 years old. Like, so that's just like, that's just who I was. I was somebody who wanted to lose weight. And there's um, a woman that I really liked who's a few years older than I am, um, who worked at the gym. And she came up to me one day and said, Pat, we want to start a a women's powerlifting group. Will you join? And I said, yes. And then I said, what's powerlifting? Because I suddenly had this image of actually bodybuilding. And I'm like, oh, I'm not getting in a bikini on stage. <laughs> like, and she's like, no, 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 no. Powerlifting is very different. But it's really because I really admired her. And um, she was just so positive. And then so I joined this group. It was where we took on the name Oh Wows, Older Women on Weights. Yeah. And we were a group of women in our 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And as a group, we started powerlifting. And the goal was to compete in a summer competition. And we did that and I had a blast. It was the most, nobody was talking about losing weight. Everyone was talking about how much weight did you lift today? So it was super fun. I had so much fun doing that. And so I've kept up with the OWL group, even though I'm, I mostly do other things now, but. Okay. So as far as powerlifting, uh, explain what are the, I guess the sports or what are the events that you're doing? So in powerlifting, there are three events. Um, and in a competition, you typically would do all three. You sometimes can do just one depending on the competition, but, um, you start with a squat, you know, you put the barbell on your back, you squat down, stand back up. You do it one time with as much weight as you can. You have three tries and you get as lift as much weight as you can just one time. Um, bench press. I think most everybody knows what a bench press is. Um, and the last is deadlift and a deadlift for somebody who may not know it's the barbells on the ground and you bend down and pick it up. Um, and it, you just get it to waist height. Okay. And not waist height. I'm sorry, hip height. Yeah. And so as far as like technique, you said you've had a coach when you started in this to make sure you're doing it correctly and using good form. Yes. And that was so important to have a coach because again, I didn't, you can, you can hurt yourself if you don't know what you're doing and you're throwing weight around. And, um, he was very technical and very encouraging and really just taught me so much. Um, and I loved, I felt like I was a student again and, you know, I so looked forward to my sessions with him. Okay. So what did that process, I guess, you know, cause you're a professor, so what did that process teach you is now being on the opposite side mm-hmm. of being a student and having to to learn from somebody else? It's funny. So the one of the things that's most interesting to me about sports now is how much I learn about being a teacher by being a, an athlete. I learned so much about how we learn. So, uh, I mean, I could talk for hours about this um, and I won't, but um, a couple of things, the importance of immediate feedback Um, when you have a coach who's watching your deadlift, like he doesn't wait, um, you know, three weeks to turn back your papers. If I lifted, you know, if my hips were rising up too early, he'd be, you know, he'd just like, uh, 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 like it was instant and constant feedback. That's one. The other is that, um, and that really helped. It's like, cause I, in the beginning I was so self-conscious about that feedback. This guy's watching yeah. my butt, like, <laughs> you know, it's so self-conscious about it. And suddenly I was like, yeah, he's just like, he just wants to make sure I'm like, well, what am I doing with my back? Am I rounding my back? Like he really yeah. paid attention. And the other is that how much, um, in sports that you often are performing and other people are watching you, they you're, you can see, and you can learn from other people. So I would watch other people, Um, work out with their coaches and go, oh, that's what it looks like when I do my deadlift the wrong way. Um, And we often in academics, we do so much of our works. I'm an English professor. You know, the writing is all very solitary. And so this notion that someone would watch us while we compete, you know, like, don't look at me while I'm working out like that was so counter to my perception of what is normal. 
And the OWL group really got me. It was like, you totally watch other people because I can learn from other people. Like, and we do that now with social media of like, you watch other people's exercise. I love uh, uh, looking at PT, um, you know, recommended exercises, you know, for imbalances (laughs) and so forth. Like you can learn a lot from watching other people. So those two things, I would say the, 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 incredible value of instant feedback in which you don't obsess over it. It's not graded. It's like, oh, that one was great. Do that one again. It's so wonderful to get. Yeah. Do you still struggle sometimes as far as your form? Do you find yourself, you know, if you don't pay attention to things? Of course. So now I do, so I don't do powerlifting, but I still have a coach, a different coach. My coach moved away, but um, I have a different coach and I do Olympic style weightlifting, which is even more technical, way more technical than powerlifting. Um, And so um, there is not an Olympic weightlifter alive who doesn't worry about technique. I mean, it is a lifelong process. Um, There are a million things you can be thinking about during a three second lift. So it's, it's yes. And I, I clearly love that part. I love the technical part of it. Um, I'm again, I'm better at powerlifting, just, you know, grind it out that I can do, but I love the, I love the getting better and improving and thinking about and learning, um, about how to move better. Yeah. So as far as doing the Olympic, uh, type of lifts, what lifts are you doing? So the uh, sport of Olympic uh, is, is the sport is actually called weightlifting. It's called Olympic weightlifting, sometimes just to uh, to remind people that it is a sport that's in the Olympics. So there's only two events. The snatch is one and the clean and jerk is the other. So the snatch, um, the barbells on the ground and in one continuous move, you get it overhead. So you have a wide grip and um, it's I can't describe it by yeah. words. Yeah. Uh, uh, you can, somebody can look it up. Uh, the clean and jerk is a uh, two part. Um, so again, the barbell always starts in weightlifting. It always starts on the ground. And it, if you're successful, it ends up over your head. Um, um, you first bring it up to your shoulders in one move, and then you have a separate move where you jerk it over your head. Um, and then the real fun, which is actually why I started weightlifting is then you get to drop the bar. And I, when I first saw that, I was like, that looks like fun. And so I wanted to drop the bar. And so you really do, you have a bar over your head with a lot of weight and you get to make a lot of noise. It's kind of fun. It's, it's, uh, you know, you have a long day at the office. Yeah. I get to throw some things around at the end of the day. It's fun. That's great. So how long did it take in the beginning? Like how slow was that process? Um, because I've done both of those and they're not easy to, to learn initially. Yeah. So I think I've been doing weightlifting for seven years and, um, like some of the basic, so I have no body awareness from my youth. Like I literally, I have nothing in the tank there from that. Um, so I would say on many things, I'm just now like where my body really does understand the concept of what it's like to pull yourself under the bar. Yeah. I have always had strength, but that's not what Olympic style weightlifting is about. You don't just muscle it around. You actually, it's, um, so I'm, I'm still learning. I would not yeah. say that I have in any way mastered any of these. I, mean, I can do a perfectly respectable snatch and clean and jerk. Yeah. Um, but, um, but there it's tough. Yeah. Do you do other uh, weightlifting as well? Is that pretty much all you're doing or you do other things? I do some accessory work. So, you know, it's funny, we're talking a lot about my lifting, but I'm really a marathoner. That's what I'm really focused on. Um, and so runners always have many, many, uh, I, you know, I, I think there is a great benefit for um, accessory work. So I do my fair share of, you know, one-legged things and, um, you know, airplanes, you know, yeah. you know, you, yeah. the, the full range. So I always throw those in. That's, that's, you know, those aren't exactly fun. I don't know anybody who gets a PR on there, you know, like, but they're so important for runners. So yes, I do do them every single day. Okay. Are you doing any, uh, like yoga or other, you know, stretching stuff? So I do stretch every day at 60. It's not really an option. I can't really run it. I just can't go out and run without warming up, um, and stretching. Um, pre COVID I did Pilates once a week. Um, um, I've kind of taken a break from that, um, right now. Um, but I definitely have stretching as a regular part. Um, and I do some yoga, um, 
as part of my stretching routine. So yes. Okay. So since you brought up COVID, how has COVID changed this year with, I guess, with as a professor and then also with just your weightlifting and everything else? I mean, it's totally upended everyone's lives. Um, you know, in terms of work, um, unbelievable stress. I mean, it's been very difficult to uh, transition a very large college in March. You know, we took a, a college of, you know, almost 7,000 students and moved them online with 96 hours of notice. It was, you know, it was a challenge and it continues to be a challenge. And like everyone else, there's definitely added stress. I mean, I can feel that and I can feel the effects of that on my sports. Uh, In terms of athletics, the big thing is, has been canceled races that Um, I trained for Boston. Uh, This was supposed to be my seventh Boston consecutively um, last April. And of course, then it got postponed to September. So then I backed off. I did some other things and I trained again for it. And then it went virtual. Um, So I did run the virtual, but I didn't run. I didn't you know, I didn't run it as the, with the same intensity as a race. I wanted to keep my streak going. So I'm yeah. glad I did it. But, um, and, um, I had signed up for a few other races as backup, um, and they got canceled. So yeah. I just feel like I've been training for a marathon for nine months and I didn't want run one yet. So I'm actually taking a little, I'm backing off a little bit this month from running and then I'll start training for hopefully a spring marathon in April, but we don't know about Boston. That's, I mean, that's my focus. I'm a, I am a, that is my focus is uh, getting ready for Boston, but nobody knows when it's going to be or what it's going to look like or who's going to go. And so um, lots of uncertainty about that. And I'm very goal oriented. So that's, it's been hard for me actually that part. Yeah, um, I also had to put in a garage gym. So um, that part was easier. Okay. So that was the next question as far as gym, because you obviously gyms were closed for a while. Are they open now by you or? They are open by me. Um, um, I have two people in my uh, immediate circle that are pretty high risk for complications from COVID. And I just don't feel, you know, one could argue I'm yeah. 60, so maybe I shouldn't either. So um, I'm a very cautious about that. So I have not felt comfortable going back to a gym. So I did set up right as soon as we went into quarantine in the beginning, you know, lockdown or whatever yeah. we want to call it. Um, I started, I already had a barbell, so that was good. And I set up a home gym. So I now lift in my garage. Okay, that's good. Yeah, because I know in the beginning when this happened, everything was sold out. So it was tough for anybody to get like even ankle weights or any any of that stuff was everybody saw that and bought it all up. I had a little trouble getting a squat rack because I knew exactly what squat rack I wanted to get. (laughs) And uh, that had to wait on a little bit. So I had to make do but you can get a lot done um, with uh, with weightlifting, actually, you don't need a whole lot. So I had a barbell and I did have some weights and I was able to buy weights, but yeah, it was really difficult. If I had needed a barbell, I would have been sunk. Yeah. So how often are you, uh, lifting a week? Um, right. I'd lift about five times a week. Okay. And then I, right now I, I probably run about five times a week. Okay. And what's your mileage like as far as running? Do you think? So off season, like I would call this off season, I'm at about 30 miles a week. And then, um, I'll, you know, I'll start building. Um, I have a, uh, just last year, I got a running coach, a remote running coach. Um, um, I think when I was doing my own plans, my highest, my weekly mileage was maybe the low sixties, somewhere around there. Um, she did not have me go that high. She, um, I probably was more 55, 50, 55. I actually don't know, but some, yeah. you know, so somewhere in the 50 to 60, um, there might've been a week or two in my life where I went over 60. Okay. So I want to just quickly touch upon, so the effects of powerlifting um, and weightlifting on your running. So when you first, let's say that first marathon, were you doing lifting at that point or did that kind of come in after? Because I'm just curious to see the, because your times as a Boston, you're under four hours. Um, so how did that improve your times? So um, I, it's, I, I started lifting almost 
just like a few months after I started running. So I've always been essentially always doing all of them. Like that 5k I had, when I ran that very, very first 5k, I wasn't lifting then, but then I started lifting right after that. So I've almost always done both of them. I am a strong believer. I, and I had had lots of people tell me you're not going to be a fast runner. If you keep lifting as much as you do. Um, My own personal belief is that, uh, lifting has decreased my risk of injuries. Um, and for someone of me, I was say I'm a, a sample size of one, which is <laughs> like, again, I have no background in sports. I had no, like literally could not feel my body, you know, that what's that proprioception. Yeah. Yep. I had zero. I was like, I was like, what do you want me to do with my elbows? Like, where are my elbows? I had no sense of where I was physically in space. And so lifting has without question improved my running. There's just no question about it. I do have to, you know, be careful and I back off on my running. I mean, you know, when I'm, if I'm really going for competitive, because I have competed uh, regionally and internationally on lifting. Um, Obviously I back off. So I I know which one I'm focused on. Um, But to me, they real running does not help lifting. Let's be honest about that. But the other way it really does. Yeah, it it definitely does. And that's why I was just curious to see like if the first marathon or second one, you if you weren't doing it, because I'd love to see the difference of you know, obviously, as you continue to lift, you're going to be stronger, your endurance is going to be better. So I would have, it would have been interesting to see the difference of how much improvement that made. But great thing that you started right from the beginning. So I you didn't just have did to, it right from the beginning. Yeah, which is awesome. The, that first summer, though, uh, which is where, I, so my first summer of running, I started running in October. And then that summer, um, I was just, I wasn't, I, the idea that I would focus on my time was something that I was just like that, that was such a foreign concept. Like I was just trying to finish races. Right. Um, but that's where I was lifting a lot and I was definitely had done a learned enough that I was getting stronger. And, um, my times when I look back, um, it's funny because some, someone that I knows knew me as in the gym uh, said to me that early at late in that summer said, Pat, you should, you should let's never forget this. She said to me, she said, Pat, you should run a marathon. And I, you know, I was like <laughs> flabbergasted. And then she said, you should try to qualify for Boston. And it was literally like, I'm five, four. It was like someone telling me that I should try out for the NBA. I was just, I was like, you, you're crazy. Like there is no way when I look back now, I can see why she said that because yeah. my times were really coming down, but I, I literally didn't even know that. Yeah. Um, and so I was bored, you know, I, then I was like, well, at least, well, I, the Boston thing's crazy. I'm not going to do that, but I will try, I, you know, maybe I do want to run a marathon. And so I did, I ran a marathon that, um, February, um, and I'd been running then for, you know, for 15 months and I did qualify for Boston. Yeah. It was craziness, but it was because I was lifting and I was getting stronger and I did lose weight then yeah. by that point. So what was your fastest uh, marathon time? 337. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. I, but my best is yet to come. I'm not, yes. I, I, I'm not, I'm not done yet. Good. And, I, and that's the thing. People say, well, as you age, you're not going to get better. But yeah, you can get better when you're going to improve your technique, you're going to improve your strength. So there's still, yeah, I'm sure that there's still room to continue to PR. I had, um, and I do, I, I recognize that I have an advantage in some way. So many athletes my age that, you know, they were in their prime in their twenties and thirties. Like, I don't like, so I have no nostalgia for those times. And, you know, so I, I recognize that not everybody um, is in this same situation. So, and, but I did have, you know, the, the, one of the weird things about marathons and maybe it's, I know you're an ultra or a triathlete as well, is that you train for them. And maybe for me, maybe I'll do one. I typically try and do just one. I try and yeah. do just Boston, but at most two a year. And on that one particular day, like there's a lot of luck that happens, right? So yeah. I had progressed my first four marathons 
I PR'd every time. And I thought, oh, this is great. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, well. And then I had a year where I taught a great, great training cycle. And I was totally confident that I could PR. And it was 80 degrees in Boston yeah. or 79. I was like, well, we didn't PR that year. Like, yeah. so that, that was the first year. And then the next year was 2018, where I spent 40 minutes in medical at mile 25 with hypothermia. I did finish, yeah. but it does not do much for your time when you spend 35 yeah. or 40 minutes in medical. Yeah. Um, and then the next year, I, same thing. I was like, okay, I'm ready. But I got um, pleurisy and pneumonia um, like eight weeks before the race. Like, And so the fact that I finished, I was like so grateful. So I had three years in a row, which I was like, boy, the luck was not there. And so I still think, and you know, maybe, you know, in 10 years, you'll go, oh, she was so crazy to think (laughs) that. But I do believe that I'm still capable of of a PR. So I want to, I want to crack that 335. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm still trying to crack the four hour mark. Um, I, I struggle with that, but also I have as a PT, I know better. I don't do as much uh, strength training as I need to. I'm the typical, let's go out. And if you give me a choice to strength train or hop on my bike for two hours or to go run 12 miles, I'm going to, I'm going to take the running or the biking just because it's easier. And I'm like, okay, I, I, it's just, I, I see the results, but I really need to strength train. And I've so been the message that I will say to runners like you is yeah. that if you're doing clamshells and all those things that PT tells us to do, you know, no one enjoys that. Right. And we have to do that. But if you're a runner and you don't do strength training because it's boring, um, I strongly recommend get a barbell in your hand because, you know, many runners, you know, there's a little competitive, you want to improve. And um, I have this weird thing that I love doing heavy deadlifts after my long runs. It totally like just loosens things up and I feel so much better. And it's way more fun to deadlift than it is. No offense to all my very, I rely on PTs and love you all dearly. But like, again, that's not the most exciting thing um, that we do. So I'm like, get a barbell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to admit since uh, uh, we've been kind of corresponding back and forth, I pulled that barbell out of my garage and I'm actually Ah. in my bonus room. It's sitting there and I've been doing deadlifts. So I will say I've been starting to do some deadlifts again. And so again, it's, I don't have anybody to watch me. So again, I think I focus on form, but it, it's kind of funny when I first started to make sure that I'm doing it correctly again, because it's been a long time since I did any of that. But yeah, it's sitting right here next to me. So I, I it's fun. I want to thank and, you. <laughs> um, I think about deadlifting actually on hills. I'm good. I, I have found that among racers, uh, runners of my speed, you know, like my, you know, like I'm about. I'm better at, at hills. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't like them anymore, but I'm better. And it's, you know, posterior chain. And so I always think to myself on a hard hills, heartbreak hill, every single year, yeah. I am thinking about deadlift. I'm like, cause I'm trying to pick off people. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a power lifter. I'm a weightlifter. I got, I'm, I'm going to get you on this hill. So um, I think about the, those, uh, the way in which they benefit each other, even during a race sometimes. So, okay. So as far as gym, are, are you going to a CrossFit gym or are you just going to a regular gym when you were going? So when I was going to a gym, I went to this uh, really unusual. So no, I don't go to a CrossFit gym. Okay. Um, this, it was a really small gym. It was unlike anything I'd ever been, but it, it was a place where there was a fair number of Olympic weightlifters around. It, okay. it was, it's a very small, it's since uh, closed Um, but it was very small and, um, just had the most amazing staff. They were all like completely, um, so well-trained in sports and, um, it it was just a very unusual place, but it's since closed. So now I'm in my garage. Okay. Um, so you've done Boston, you said what, uh, eight years. Uh, so counting the virtual, you know, I got, you know, it's, uh, was seven. So six there. And I then said the, seven was the virtual this year. Okay. Were you at Boston then the year of the bombing? I'm trying to think what year that was. No. Um, I, uh, and I think it's one of the reasons why I just fell in love with that race. And it has always, it just captures my, if I need motivation, I just have to think about that race. Um, because my first race was my first Boston was the year after the bombing. And if there was ever a year of just emotional intensity in the city, um, 
it, that was just an amazing experience running that race the first time. It, it was just yeah. everything that I could have um, imagined and 10 times more. And it has never disappointed me. And now it has kicked my butt. Let me tell you yeah. that course. Right. So it's hard, but I love, I love the whole weekend. I love the race. I love the city. I love the way, I mean, everyone cares about that race. And um, so it was the year after. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to do the math in my head and I couldn't remember what year it was. Um, so from not having, I guess that experience, like you said, as far as competing as a, as a youth, um, how's that competition? It sounds like you, you said you're very goal oriented, but that competition, do you thrive on that competition? And are you looking to, I know you're trying to beat yourself, but are, what about beating those other competitors? I pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am competitive yeah. and, and mostly the most important thing is, can I beat my own times? Okay. Can I get faster? Can, and I feel that way about lifting, right? So I, it matters more to me whether I get a personal PR than whether I win at a meet. Now, in powerlifting, there are not that many women in my age and weight class. So um, to be honest, I typically win at powerlifting competitions, yeah. even internationally, sometimes because I'm the only sometimes I'm the only person in my age and weight class. Um, that's changing some, even since I've been doing it. So there are now more women, but it's not uncommon to be like, okay, you're going to win. But yeah. so then the only thing that matters is, well, how much are you going to lift? Okay. Um, but in terms of running, yeah, I'm competitive. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> that's a good thing. I'll own that one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. Um, and then like for like you crossing that finish line, how does that feel to to you, you know, at a marathon. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's not ecstatic for me. Um, uh, every time I finish the cross, the across the finish line on a marathon, I have, I, I feel as empty and as a person can be, I, yeah. I feel terrible. Um, the, the elation can come relatively quickly, but at that moment, I'm, I, I don't know. I really don't know how to describe it. It is, it's actually, it's a, um, it's often a really lonely, scary place for me, the finish line, because I feel so terrible. Um, and I know people will say, you don't have to feel that bad, but like I do for me, if I'm going to run a marathon, I want to know that I gave it my very best. So I'm going to run as hard as I can yeah. and my times will be different. Fair, fair enough, but I want to know that I gave it my very best, so I'll push. And so um, I don't feel that way after half marathons. I just ran a half uh, last weekend. It was like, oh, you get the finish line. You're like, oh, let's go for brunch. You know, like you totally feel fine <laughs> now. Um, but to me, finishing a, at the the finish line of a marathon is um, I often feel terrible. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah, the reason I ask is that I think it's so different for so many different people. And you're right. When you've given it everything you have, yeah, the finish line is great. And maybe you have a split second. Okay, I'm, I've done it. But then also we all like to play uh, Monday morning quarterback. And sometimes that happens right away when you cross the finish line. So whatever excitement you have, you're already thinking, well, what if I did this better? And then obviously time, you know, you end up um, going back and thinking about everything. So for you, like that, do you really contemplate a lot on let's start with running as far as when you've done, uh, let's say a Boston, when you're done, how long does it take to kind of move on from, from that race to whatever's next? So, uh, uh, in most cases, what I would say is it, it can take me sometimes 10 or 15 minutes. Sometimes I just need some calories or I need a blanket because I'm so cold. I, you know, like, or, you know, you're just, I need somebody to take care of the physical needs at the end. Um, and once I get some calories in, um, there is, uh, an overwhelming enthusiasm for, I want to do that again. Yeah. Like, so a half hour before I was promising myself that I would never put myself in this position again. Like I do this every time it comes at a different time where I say, no, Pat, you have to remember, this is how you feel. You will never do this to yourself again. And then once I get the recovery going, I'm like, 
do I really have to wait a whole nother year to do this, <laughs> to run Boston again? And I'm immediately thinking of, well, you know, if I did more of this and this and this, yeah. like immediately I'm thinking about, so the finish line is a weird thing. I often think about yeah. graduation, you know, graduation yeah. week is a graduation, but we call it commencement. Yeah. I feel that way about finish lines because it's an end, but it's almost always the launch into, oh, I can get better. Yeah. I, I just, it's, so it's, it's, it's pretty quick. Yeah. See, that's great. I think that that feeling is what keeps us going back for more. When you struggle, um, again, we'll go with running since we're talking about marathons. Uh, When you get to that deep, dark place, which we all go through, what gets you out of it? Um, I really believe in training and I, I, um, I, I don't really believe in willpower, honestly. So when people say it's about willpower, I will totally refute that. I don't think, but I do believe in training. So, you know, if you've trained for a marathon, it's hard to train. It's hard to get up at four 30 in the morning and to run in the dark and the cold. And if you run Boston, you r- run in the cold and the dark, if you have a job and, yeah. or you run at night, but I run in the morning. And so it's cold and dark and raining sometimes. And so you've practiced doing that of, yeah, I don't I don't really want to do this. I don't want to run every single. It's not like I wake up going, oh, I can't wait. A lot of times it's like, oh, but I almost, I never regret it once I do it, but yeah. the getting there. So you have practiced over and over again. Same thing, you know, you run a long run. If, you know, if I have a 20 miler, I don't really enjoy mile 19 and 20. I know yeah. some people do. I do not. I'm yeah. like, let's finish this. I'm sick of it. I'm yeah. ready to be done. But you practice that. Yeah, but you got to get to 20. So it is the practice and the training. Um, I also think I do have a good mental game. Okay. I, in the sense of I work on that. I think you know, people don't practice that enough. And I and I really do practice the mental game on a regular basis. And there's a variety of techniques and they're very successful. It's nothing that you have, it's nothing, you know, outlandish or crazy, but if you don't practice that stuff, you will, you will not perform as well as you can. Um, And for me, I think different things work for different people. Um, When things get really tough, I count. Mm -hmm. And so I count a lot during a marathon because I'm just concentrating. People are like listening to music. I'm like, absolutely not possible. Other people are like, oh, I let my mind wander. Not possible. Not at race pace. I am working really hard. I count over and over again in different ways, but I count. It just keeps me focused. Yeah, I've actually switched. I'd say probably within the past two years, um, especially last year as I was training for my first Ironman is I started counting when I was running and such a difference. It takes all that, that doubt and that, you know, your mind is going all over the place. And so I would extend just like you, I'd count. Sometimes I count to 10, sometimes I count to hundred. Yeah. Sometimes I, you know, it depends if there's a hill, I was counting up the hill. And that, so yeah, I, I, again, I wouldn't count all 26 miles, but I would, I would count a lot of it and amazing how much that kept me just kind of focused on what I needed to do. And it got me out of Okay, I'm not going to pay attention to anything else other than just one step. We're just going to keep going. I mean, for me, the trick of of and actually, it's the trick of weightlifting too. In many ways, is uh, and it's a it, it is the meditative part about that is mm-hmm. to be present, right? Yeah. So when you are struggling at mile 17, which is totally in Boston, you hit your first hill, you make that turn, and you your first really hard hill is at mile 17 you know, you're struggling then. And you also know you got nine more miles, like you cannot. Right. But if you start thinking about mile 26, when you're on a hill on mile 17, you're, you're toast. Right. So it is being present. And so the counting just keeps me in the present. I also, I don't have it. Sometimes it's 30. Sometimes it's 10. Sometimes I count a hundred. If things are going good, I'm in like, I count to a hundred twice and I've done a mile. (laughs) And sometimes I just hold a number in my head. So the early miles on a marathon, I often just think about number one, mile number one. And I just think about that one number and then I go on to another number. And so I don't let, I just, that, that brain, that monkey brain, you know, with the people who do meditation would call when that I heard when I was first started running of it's too cold, it's dark, (laughs) it's bad for your knees, like that constant. I have learned to just say, shut up, be quiet. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not giving you space. Yeah. Do you do meditation? And uh, no, I run. Okay. <laughs> so that's your meditation. That is my meditation. <laughs> that's good. So then um, quickly just jump to lifting because really there's no thought process. Your job is to just get that, that 
bar up as high as you can, you know, up that one time. Um, so really, is there any thought process there? Or do you have to do some self-talk before you lift or do you just go and just do it? Um, most times before a lift, especially before a heavy, uh, I might be thinking about one cue. There might be easily 50 things I should be thinking mm -hmm. about, like stay on your heels, keep your gut, you know, tight and, you know, relax your arms or whatever it is mm -hmm. or, um, that I'm doing. Um, but at most you can think about one. So I might have one cue, but it is similar to me in the sense that um, clearing my mind and just focusing. Um, it's a funny thing uh, for weightlifting. The, the lifts are very fast. Yeah. I think a snatch probably takes three or four seconds from the time it leaves the ground. Um, but you actually have to be patient. The first part of a, a good snatch you and a, or a clean, you have to be patient. And it's hard to be patient in four seconds, but you, if you get it, I will miss if I get ahead. And, you know, yeah. my coach is always telling me, be patient, be patient. I'm like, it's four seconds, you know, <laughs> um, but you, you really do have to be a patient, be patient and not explode too soon. You got to make yeah. sure you use your legs as long as you can. And then you jump. Um, and it's that same sense of don't get ahead of yourself. So they're, they're actually, I do think there's some, there's some similarities of, yeah. Focus on what you're supposed to be doing on the first pull, do your first pull and stop worrying about the second thing, you know, yeah. just do that. Yeah. Yeah. So being present, basically, that's yeah. the, the biggest thing. So what advice do you have um, to say someone your age or maybe younger that just thinks powerlifting or weightlifting or whatever, this is just, it's crazy. I shouldn't be able to, I shouldn't do that. What advice do you have for them? I guess even running too. Um. The main advice that I would have about somebody, if, especially if they don't do any sports, is to find something that you actually love. Like, I love lifting and I love running. And um, I always exercised when I was younger because I was trying to change what my body looked like. As it turns out, that's not much of a motivator for me. And yeah. in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, because really who cares? You know, like it, it's not a good motivator at all. But to learn how to move differently or to to learn about yourself and your body, I mean, it brings me such joy. So um, with running, it's true. You do, I, for me anyway, I had to do it for, I had to stick with it long enough to find out that I could like it. Like if I had gone on the first week, so give something, but if, if, if lifting or running's not your thing, is there something else, um, where what's great about both the running community is so fabulous. I have yeah. met so many wonderful friends from running. Um, same thing with lifting, really, really close friends, um, people with who otherwise I would never, ever have gotten to know, like our lives are very different, but we yeah. live together. Um, and that's one thing with COVID. I do miss my lifting friends. I really, yeah. really do. Um, but to find something that you actually love and that maybe does give you a sense of community um, and that's encouraging. So uh, I'm just, I'm not a fan of exercising to lose weight, I think, yeah. it, or even to get healthy, I, like do it because it's fun. Then you'll yeah. keep doing it and you'll get healthy. And that's great. I jokingly say that um, I would do lifting if it were bad for me, it would be <laughs> like my guilty pleasure, right? I don't do it because it like, I do it because it's fun. Yeah. And, that I just think we should all like, why not find that joy in the things that we do? So maybe it's dance, maybe it's yeah. something else, but find something fun. Yeah. That's the thing. I think COVID is, uh, I'm more worried about the long-term effects of COVID, not just the disease itself. I'm worried about just this isolation and what the lack of social interaction is what's doing, you know, again, I'm in the marathon triathlon world and it's, it's, you don't get to see anybody and you know even for competitions are canceled training sessions are canceled we're all being limited so i'm i'm longing for the day that we get out of this and we can get back to the normal of hanging out with people because i think that social interaction is you know that definitely what makes it fun so even when it's not fun that is the thing yes. that makes it fun by having that other person with you now are there a lot of uh weightlifting or uh, um powerlifting competitions oh yeah I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, there's there are a lot of different powerlifting federations. Um, I'm a member of the American Drug Free Powerlifting Federation, which is part of a world um, federation. Um, but there are lots of other ones. So there are lots of powerlifting competitions um, and and weightlifting too. So um, yeah, I miss them. Um, and even when I was really switched to mostly focusing on marathon running, I would try and do. Um, a couple of meets a year and they're totally fun, you know, yeah. throw, you know, throw a barbell over your head, <laughs> pick something heavy up, let it go down. You know, it's, it's fun. So, um, drug testing, is there drug testing in uh, powerlifting? Yeah. So, so uh, the American drug free, yes, we're yes. doing drug and yes, I have peed in a cup. Okay. Um, there are lots of powerlifting federations that don't do drug testing. And I, I am, um, I'm proud to be a member of, of, um, the drug, a uh, drug free. Um, and I, it, it matters to me that they take drug testing very seriously. Um, I'm not saying it's the only one, but it is the most aggressive about drug testing. Um, I just don't have any interest in, in going to a competition and hanging out with people that are, it's just not, it's just, you know, this is, I got a job, I got yeah. things, you know, I'm going to do this for fun. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they're very serious about drug testing. Um, yeah. It's a shame because, you know, before you would only think it was, say, some of the professional athletes, but I know, again, the triathlon world, it's filtering down into the age, the age groupies. Everybody's just trying to get an edge and, you know, they're trying to either, they're trying to get to Kona, marathon runners are trying to get to Boston. And, yep. you know, in my age group, I have to be just around a three hour, I think three, I think 320 is my uh for my age group to get there. And even that doesn't guarantee you in because there's right. so many people. So people are looking for that edge. And unfortunately there are people that are not doing it legitimately. And, and that's a, and that's difficult. So I, I think we're going to, I think it's part of the sport now, unfortunately. Now the sport of weightlifting has a serious problem at the, yeah. you know, at the, the highest level, like a serious problem with, um, drugs i mean serious problem yeah. um and i'm not above looking for every single little you know like i drink my beet juice and i'm all about like you know I, i'm totally into like ooh, can i you know shave off a second or two um so i'm not i'm not above you know trying to squeeze out every every last second um so i totally get that impulse but for me it's just yeah. not something i would do you know something that's you know gonna damage my health uh, uh. Uh, recovery from say a Boston marathon. How is that, that week look for you? I usually don't run for a week. Um, and, but I'll start lifting the races on Monday. I almost always have a barbell in my hand on Wednesday, just the bar, okay. just to move around. Okay. Um, like literally just the bar and just to start moving. And then I start running, you know, usually a week after the race. Okay. And then as far as, um, nutrition, are you in any special diets that you follow or? So I do, you know, in terms of recovery, nutrition, hydration, and sleep are the, you know, three-legged stool for me. Um, I do think hydration is the key to the universe. Um, it's something I struggle with, but if it makes a huge difference, um, I'm very careful with my diet in the sense of not depriving myself, but I can tell if I'm eating a lot of sugar, I'm a yeah. stress eater and sugar is my go-to thing. Um, like it's going to make my track workout tomorrow, like way harder. Like mm -hmm. I just know that. And I'd much rather have a good track workout. So it's yeah. really about, you know, it's not about d depriving myself, but I would describe my diet as excellent, you know, lots okay. of fruits and vegetables, lean protein. Um, I don't eat processed foods. I really stay away from sugary things. Um, okay. you know, it's not perfect, but, um, I see nutrition as a huge part of my, uh, you know, the success that I've had in sports is that that's a huge piece. Yeah. Cause you need to, that's the best way is recovery is, you know, without a good recovery, I don't care what you've done in your training and your event. Um, you're, you basically, you're, you need recovery for the next time you do it, or you're going to continue just to decline. It just, you're not. And for a marathon runner, I mean, there's just, you just have to be ready for the net, you know, cause it's, it's yeah. a grind. It yeah. is totally a grind. Yeah. Uh, so for you for sleep, I know everybody's so different, but, um, do you have to get eight hours of sleep? What is a typical night sleep for you? Like, 
So I wish I could sleep for eight hours. I literally just, my body, as I age, you know, I, I look at the teenagers and they can sleep for so long. Like I just, it's really, really hard for me to sleep eight hours. I just wake up. Um, so a good night's sleep is seven hours for me. Okay. Like I don't set the alarm most days. I wake up at seven hours. I have to go to bed really early. Um, I, the stress interrupts my sleep and that that's a, that's something I struggle with. Um, and COVID and, and, you know, various things this fall have made that more difficult, but seven hours. Okay. Um, have you had any injuries you've had to overcome? I've had little nagging things um, that I always, I've not ever missed a season, but I would say that I have certainly had my share of, you know, tendonitis here, a hamstring that's bugging me here. And I get into PT, I go to massage regularly. So again, I'm a 60 year old, I got a 60 year old body. I got to stay on top of stuff. So I I have nagging things that crop up right now. My ankles are bugging me and I don't know why I'm going to go see my PT on Tuesday. So, um, but no major injuries. Okay. Do you do any, uh, swimming or pool running pre COVID? No. Okay. So, and no cross training as far as biking or anything. It's pretty much running and then weightlifting. I bike once a week. I have a, um, like, you know, not, um, you know, an indoor bike. I do that typically once a week. Okay. Just for just an extra, just a change of pace. Yeah. Just to get a little more, um, aerobic without Mm -hmm. pounding on my legs. Um, if I had time, I would do more, but I don't have any more time to get, you know, like um, I'm maxed out on time. Yeah. Um, so as far as like any special mantras or quotes, do you use any? So I, every season I actually come up with, um, kind of my thing, I call my affirmations for that season. So they change over time. Um, I took this great course. I'm at a university. And so, and I, when I started getting into this, I took a sports psychology course. Mm -hmm. It was super great. I learned so much. And I'm like, I just wanted to like, I just want to learn what I should do from like, and so that was one of the homework assignments was to write our affirmations. The first time I did it, I think I had 22. I was like, I really had a lot of things I wanted to work on. And now I'm like, so each season I'll come up with like, here are my five things. And it's not things that I necessarily say to myself during a race. It's more the things that I'm going to work on. And a lot of it for me, honestly, is about the stuff that I need to do in the, 22 hours that I'm not training. So like a typical, so they're not, they're more affirmations of like I, one, so here's one that I made up that I frequently use, which is sweat the small stuff. You know, the saying, Mm -hmm. don't sweat the small stuff. That's nonsense for a runner. Like, like, don't worry about the race. That's the big thing. Don't worry about that. But did you have a glass of water in the last hour? Cause if not like pay attention, cause that will accumulate. So I really do believe that marathon training is so much of attending. It's the accumulation of a million stupid little decisions of what you have for lunch. Did you hydrate that day? Did you go to bed on time? Did you stretch before you went to bed? And it's the other 22 hours, the two hours where you're training. I don't need mantras. Then it's the other 22 hours. Okay. Now, do you, um, so you said you're pretty goal oriented. Do you have daily goals? Like, you know what you want to accomplish that day or like how regimented are you as far as schedule? Um, I, uh, I, I, I'm almost always in terms of running or lifting like a session. I know what I'm supposed to accomplish that day and it might be keep it easy. Don't, you know, like really, it doesn't matter if you feel great today is supposed to be an easy run. So I know what my goals are for every training session. Um, And I focus in on those. Um, And the other sort of the other 22, it's the same thing. Like hydration is the biggest thing that I struggle with. It's so important, but I get busy. And, uh, but if I'm dehydrated, then I get home from work and I'm all stressed out. And then I start snacking and it's all downhill from there. Um, so yeah, yeah, I have daily goals. Okay. Um, and then, uh, cause I don't want to keep you much longer. I appreciate yeah. the time. Uh, last question was I use a kind of a hashtag. My miles are for as a way to kind of reinforce why, you know, physical miles in life and, and on the out running. what, if you had to sum it up in one or two words, what would you say as far as why you do the things you do? Joy. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can't get any much more simpler than that. I love it. <laughs> well, yeah. when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's the easiest question in the world. I didn't have to think about that for one minute. <laughs> See, I love it. You know, I think we can make things more complex sometimes. Pat, uh, thanks a lot. I appreciate you taking the time with me. This is awesome. Thanks for doing this podcast. I'm really, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's great for me to have an opportunity to learn more about um, athletes my age and, um, and older and younger, but um, I really appreciate the work you're doing. So oh, thank no, you. you're welcome. I, I think too many people, you know, they think as they age that they, they can't do it or it's too late to start. And as you, if you've heard any of them, it's amazing. Most people started later in life and they've overcome some pretty significant obstacles in their life. Um, to do it. So I think it's, you know, if anybody learns, we can get one person to get out there, whether it's running the Boston Marathon or just getting out the door and just doing something. I, I think that we gain. Uh, it's, again, it's all about joy for me. So You're thank welcome. you very much. You're welcome. Thanks, you Pat. You have a great day. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and were able to get some insight into how one weathering athlete approaches each day of training and racing to stay as injury free as possible. I believe her biggest strength is her participation in powerlifting and Olympic-style weightlifting. Her time perfecting her squat and deadlift over the years provided a great foundation as she progressed to the Olympic-style lifts of the snatch and clean and jerk. Her use of a coach to assist with technique played a significant role in reducing her risk of injury. As she states, she is a runner first and a weightlifter second. Honestly, I believe that ability to stay consistent at both is her greatest attribute. She started her powerlifting within one year of running, so it is difficult to fully assess the impact, but I'm convinced it plays a significant role in her ability to stay injury-free and continue to PR. I can promise you there are many marathoners out there, including me, that would love to have a 337 PR and the opportunity to run seven Boston marathons. Her other attribute is her willingness to put in the time necessary. As she states, she believes in her training, she knows she has put in the work and spent the time, so when she is struggling, she uses that as motivation to overtake her competitors when things are the most difficult. Thank you for taking time in your busy schedule. If you find today's or any other episode inspiring, I ask you to consider to join our patron program. Details can be found at www.weatheredathlete.com. Also, please don't forget to hit subscribe to this podcast, share with your friends, give me a rating on iTunes, leave me a comment or drop me a line if you feel what you have what it takes to enter the Weathered Athlete Podcast. Lastly, no matter how you complete your miles, I encourage you to use the following hashtag, my miles are for, as a way to reinforce the purpose of those miles. As always, my miles are for the journey. People who